So today marks this season of Advent. Advent means waiting, and Advent means arrival, and it's this waiting for the arrival of Christmas, Christ with us. It's a time of joy, a time of hope, a time of peace, a time of generosity. But it's also a time to think about how Christ came, humbly, quietly, unassumingly. And for me, it's a season that I have to reestablish my belief that God is present and God is with us and that he cares about us, that he came to heal our brokenness, our sin, and our selfishness. Because when I look around the world and when I look in my own heart, I see brokenness and sin and selfishness. One only has to think about the terror attacks that have happened in the last few years or the refugee crisis that literally we just talked about or the post-election debacles that you know, we seem to encounter wherever we go. And you'll see that our world and our country and our cities and our neighborhoods and our homes and even our own hearts are completely divided. We need help. And I take comfort that we find it in the scriptures. We find it in God's story. And today we find it in these two gifts that I think God gives in this little section of Romans 15. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you'll want to turn to Romans 15. Romans 15 is towards the right side of your Bible, uh, right after Acts, right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So hopefully that gives you a reference point. Or if you've got a device, I think you can just point to it and click to it. So, in Romans 15, there's some important background that's happening because the people that uh, first believe and follow Jesus in Rome probably were at Pentecost, this Jewish celebration in Jerusalem, in the months after Jesus was crucified and rose. And then the disciples show up on Pentecost, the Spirit shows up, and there's this huge preaching celebration. 3,000 people come to Christ. It's a crazy week. Those people go back to Rome, most likely, and start the church. So all of the people that started the church would have been Jewish believers, Jewish Christians, and further, then all of, if all the people who were in the church were Jewish Christians, then all the people who were leaders in the church would be Jewish Christians. And so... All of their customs, all of their practices would also be predominantly Jewish. Not bad, just important to know. Then there comes an emperor in Rome who decides we're going to kick all of the Jews out of Rome. So by this time now, there are many people that are a different race and a different religion that have come into the, into the Christian church that happen to be filled with Jewish people. Different races, different religions, and they are now part of it. Some of them might be serving, some of them might be leading, but when the Jews get kicked out, now all of those people that aren't Jewish are leading. And it's about eight to 10 years with the Jewish Christians leading, and then it's about 10 to 14 years where the Jews are kicked out, and when that emperor dies, his edict immediately gets repealed, so all of the Jews come back. Imagine their shock when they come back to the church and there's a, there's a fellowship potluck happening after and there's, oh, 
I mean, there is some baby back ribs that are slathered in Famous Dave's rich and sassy barbecue sauce. And then there's some bacon wrapped pork tenderloin. And there is some puffy, gooey cornbread that has all kinds of yeast in it. All things that Jews would find detestable that they cannot eat. They're kosher. This is completely wrong. And they're like, who stole my church? And so in the next one to three years, we hear about all these racial tensions and these cross-cultural insensitivities that are happening in the Roman church and it's spreading across the Roman empire. And Paul, who's been a missionary, who's gone on several trips, he is in the provinces of Rome in what would now be modern-day Greece, and he hears about this, and he writes to them. He writes to the people who love Jesus, who are of different races, who came from different religions. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that they needed some racial reconciliation, that they needed some cross-cultural sensitivity. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say we do too. So, let's go. Romans chapter one, or Romans 15, verse one. It says, Ye, we, Paul's including himself, we who are strong, strong in the faith, we who are strong ought to bear the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. So according to these verses, who would you say the strong are? You can shout it out if you want. Who are the strong? Them that, do they do anything? How would you describe them? How does it describe them? How does it describe the strong? Why are they strong? Okay, so what are the spiritually mature people doing according to these verses? Hmm? Mm, maybe. They might be pleasing themselves. What are they supposed to be doing? How, how are they supposed to be acting if they are strong in the faith? According to these verses? Gracious towards those who are struggling or doing it different. That'll work. I heard somebody else say something similar, but it's those who are, according to these verses, the strong in the faith are those who are carrying the limitations of those who are weak in the faith. Now, maybe you disagree, but um, another way to say that is those who are strong in the faith have the ability to love their neighbor as they love and care for themselves. That's the reason I think that Paul wrote the word neighbor. He wants them to remember Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. He wants them to remember Jesus' greatest commandments, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. He wants them to remember that this isn't just some random thing that he's saying, but he's simply saying those who are strong in the faith are those who can carry what others are too weak to carry. Maybe it's those who can't see the difference between the food that is offered and the religious practices or the prayers that they give. So, Kari has a refugee family come to her Thanksgiving. 
It never would have happened if they would have just said, you know, you can, uh, any, anyone's welcome to come, I don't think. I think it happened because someone saw that refugee family, walked up to them, and said, we'd love to have you in our home. We'd love to have you join our Thanksgiving dinner. So they did. It took a deliberate act to see the other. But I would say that that this isn't just personal. It's communal. It's corporate. It's organizational. It's for the church. Not unlike Cree's story of Thanksgiving. So this is more than 10 years ago. I'm leading this very successful 800 to 900 person student outreach event. I've led it three times. I'm in the midst of planning for the fourth year of it. And I get this email forwarded to me from one of my assistants that's working on the project. And it's a dad asking about the event and asking about his son to be able to go to the event, which does not come to me. You register through your church and your church sends the registrations. And this email is from uh, a dad in a very small town in a very small church, very far away. And I'm I just want to respond, you know, well, then register your son. But he says, last year we told him no, and he just won't quit. He really wants to go. And you need to know that my son is deathly allergic to peanuts, anything that contains them. As if he, if you break open the shells of peanuts and you're eating them, and then you walk over and touch his arm, he'll go into a sho- an anaphylactic shock and, and quite possibly actually die. Wow. And, and here's the catch. He's not asking the twins, because, oh, I forgot to tell you, this event is filled with like crazy chaotic games. It's filled with a whole day at Valley Fair. It's filled with a day, uh, a night of the twins game. And we feed them, we house them, we share Jesus with them. It's awesome. And the dad is like, um, you, you need to change how you do this. See, one of the main staples of this event is peanut butter. I mean, industrial size cans of peanut butter and jelly sit out with loaves and loaves of bread because there has to be a backup alternative for middle schoolers because who isn't a picky eater in middle school? So this is like a staple of the event. And it's used, he, he's, he's asking for us to remove all peanuts and peanut butter and any ingredient from our meals our facilities and our games, because when you're in middle school, you use food with games. It's just what you do. And he's not asking for the twins to stop selling peanuts. And he's not asking Valley Fair to change how they do things. He's asking us to remove that. Just us. In fact, even further, he's asking us to make an announcement to the entire 800 or 900 students and say, if any of you have anything, including candy that has peanuts or peanut butter, please give it to your leader. Not please, do so. Give it to your leader. They'll give it to the registration team and somehow the registration team will sort out all of that food and give it back to you at the end of the three days. (laughs) Oh, and don't point out who my son is. He gets pointed out enough. So I sit with this for a while. I walk over to one of my teammates who, a couple of teammates who 
are working the event with me, I explain the predicament and they laugh me back to my office. I then go talk to our main chef and ask how we can adjust the menu if this is even possible. And her eyes kind of grow as big as pancakes and she's like, um, wow, okay. If we were to do that, you know what, how about I just write down the number on a sheet of paper because I don't think I can tell you how many zeros we'll have to add to the end of the number of our food to, to do the food. I mean, it'll quadruple the cost. And I don't want to say that to your face, so I'll just write it on a piece of paper and bring it back to you. So about an hour later, I write to this dad, I'm sorry. It's just too much money. It's just too much expense. We can't accommodate your son. God loves you, Rob. I remember that message like it was last week. See, I would think that I'm strong in my faith, but I wasn't. And if you're someone who thinks they're strong in their faith, but knows they need a little help, take some courage from Romans 15, because we get these gifts, if you will, these, these gifts that God says, open, use, and you will be able to be strong in your faith. The first gift that God gives us in this passage is this gift of a restored hope. It's found in verse four. And verse four says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in scripture, it might provide us with hope. The encouragement that it provides would give us hope. Hope in the Bible is very different from the hope that we use. Like, I hope the Vikings win next week because they haven't been winning lately. Or, I'm hopeful my boss will give me a raise. Or, I hope there's Thanksgiving leftovers. That is kind of a wishful thinking. But the hope in the Bible is this utter confidence that God will do what he says he will do because of who he is. It's a hope that goes beyond now to this future time that God is always present in and he is, has been always faithful and so he will continue to be faithful. It's not based on positive attitude. It's not based on our present circumstances and it's not based on our human capabilities. It is rooted deeply in who he is and how we get it is by understanding these stories and seeing ourselves inside those stories. So for example, when we read the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, do you see yourself in that story? Do you see that there could be a God who loves you, who creates the world and places you in a place of delight and gives you everything you need? Protection, provision, relationship. Can you see a God who would do that? If you can, you see yourself in the story. Or could you see yourself in the story where God goes to these very, very far off people, the outsiders, Abraham and Sarah, and says, I will bless you so much so that the whole world will be blessed and restored through you. That God would want to say that to you. If you do, then you see yourself in the story. Or maybe the stories of sibling rivalry. 
from Genesis, or the stories of family dysfunction, or the stories of slavery and exile. Not our favorite stories, but stories that we can find hope in because even in the midst of that, when people continue to treat God like an outsider and the others like an outsider, he still comes through. He still keeps his end of the bargain. And if you can see yourself inside of that story, then you can have a renewed hope. And the reality is some of us can and some of us can't. But those who can should help those who can't just to see themselves in the story. They can have that restored hope too. The second gift we see in the next few verses of Romans 15, it's this gift of renewed mind. Romans 15 says, 5 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement give you the same attitudes towards each other that Jesus Christ had, so that with one mind and voice you may glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. This will bring praise to God. See, God accepts you because Christ accepts you. The verses say, just as Christ accepted you, accept one another. To accept in this passage means not only to welcome someone into your home, but to welcome someone into your heart. Now, if you're uh, a guy or you think like Uh, not with your feelings, then this might sound a little too sensitive to welcome someone to your home and your heart. What does that really mean? It just sounds emotional. It means that you don't put up barriers to keep people, you know, to keep people at an arm's length from knowing the real you. Because Christ didn't do that. And if we can do that, if we can change the way that we see God, that we see each other and we see the world, that's a renewed mind. We do that by seeing just how much Christ loved us. That though he was God, he did not consider him equal, himself equal with God, but he actually gave up his standing with God. He created no dividing lines. He created no VIP lists. He created no backstage passions. He just let everyone come to him. Anyone that was far off could come. He took on the insults, it says, of those who insulted God so that we might be healed. So that not just Jesus was the Savior or the Messiah for the Jews, but for the world. And then Paul does this crazy thing where he lists verses and examples from every part of the Old Testament. From the law, at the beginning, from the writings, and from the Psalms or the prophets. And he gives all of these places in the scriptures where the Gentiles, the people that were not Jews, the outsiders, got to be in the story. Even people that never saw themselves as part of God's story were to be welcomed in this story. Deuteronomy, 2 Samuel, the Psalms, it's all there. It's like Paul, this writer, wants to let us know In every significant episode of God's story, his plan was always to take those who thought themselves too far away and to bring them in. When you can renew your mind and you can restore your hope, you will see that there is no outsider and insider. 
There's just people that are all separated from God and their race and their religion will not save them, but Christ will save them. As we come to communion today, hear that Jesus really does say there's a place for you at this table. And challenge yourself. Ask God, am I willing to open my home and my heart to those that are different than me? I'm so thankful that Jesus did that for me and I want to do it for others. So a week later, as the band comes up, a week later I get this, or actually just two days later from this episode of The Peanut Butter Dad, I get the phone call. And he, he, he explains who he is and then he says, you know, do you, do you have kids? So I'm like, oh, this is not going to go good. Uh, yeah, I, I just had a second daughter. He's like, oh, that's great. Imagine if every time your daughter's asked to do something, you had to say no. When they brought home the Boy Scout or Girl Scout thing, you had to say no. When they brought home the birthday party invitation, you had to say no. When they wanted to do the school activity, the field trip, you had to say no because people were either unwilling or unable to make an accommodation for your son or daughter. He said, it kills me to have to come home and tell my 11-year-old son that he can't come. He goes, the crazy thing is, just two years ago, we started going to this church, and this church has made every accommodation for us. They've accepted our entire family. They've taken all the peanut butter out, and, and they feed people three times a week. And so they have to bring it back in. And we feel so welcome in this place and so accepted. They said, you know, then just a few months later, camp time comes around and this little camp in Little Falls is inviting our students to camp and the church asks us if we would send our son. And we immediately told them all the reasons we couldn't and, and, and tried to shoot him down. And they said, oh, we've already called the camp. And even though they use peanut butter every other week of the year, they are going to completely scrub down the kitchen. They are going to sterilize the place. They are going to make sure that no one brings it. No one brings anything like that to camp so that your son can come to camp. He said, so, sorry, I got a little emotional about it, but he said, so, I hope you can see why I thought that this event, which was designed for 150 churches to attend, would be willing to make a change so that my son could come as well. Like I said, I can still remember that call like it was last week and it was 10 or 12 years ago. I'm happy to say that we never served peanut butter at that event again, that we took all the games out that had peanut butter in them, and that I never met the boy because he was just a face in a crowd of 800 kids having a fabulous time, exactly how he wanted to be. As we come to communion today, know that Christ sees your face and he invites you to the table 
exactly as he wants you to be. Seen, accepted, and loved. As the communion servers come up forward, would you pray with me? Jesus, you accepted us right where we were. You took all of our sin. You took the pain of the world on. And you defeated death, you defeated sin, and you defeated Satan. And through your resurrection, God, you give us the power of your Holy Spirit to actually live this way. To see someone that's different than us and not be afraid, but have the courage to just see them as someone that you love, that you died for. I pray that we could accept one another into our homes as well as our hearts. Jesus, thank you for letting a betrayer and a denier come to your table to eat and drink with them, to say, this is my body given for you and this is my blood shed for you. God, be present as we take communion from one another. In Jesus' name, amen.